Bandwidth for this episode of Mac Power Users has been provided by Midascreen Technologies, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Check them out at MidasGreenTech.com. Mac Power Users, Episode 56, Email. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Welcome to episode two on Five by Five, David. Thank you, Katie. I think we've we've gotten all the the ghosts out of the machine here. The uh, we apologize to those of you who had a, an issue with duplication in your feed. Unfortunately, that was a I think a necessary evil with our transition. But the good news is we have arrived. Yes, so we've got a new feed that is part of the five by five network, and the old feed is uh, is dead and gone. But but people don't know that if they were still subscribed, they're still subscribed and. They, yeah. they shouldn't have to resubscribe or do anything like that. So I think that was the lesser of two evils. We've got a new feed. We've got a new logo. Um, the only downside of this, the one little tiny downside of this, is we do have a new um, iTunes listing in the iTunes store that made us part of the, the 5x5 network. And as a result of that, we lost all of our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful comments and reviews that people had left for us. I mean, we had almost 400 reviews. Yeah. So and they're gone. They're all gone. And that made me so sad. But there's an opportunity here. Right? There's a great opportunity. So if you like the show, you want to support the show, that helps us to get noticed and, and uh, get featured again on iTunes, um, take a moment and, and leave us a review. There's a link to that on our website and in the show notes. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it'd mean a lot to us because we look like we have no love at this point. We look so sad. Yes. But all right, but enough about us, right? Yes, let's talk about email. Let's talk about email. This, this is the subject that, that, you know, it's kind of like deja vu. This was our very first topic. Yeah. But that was several years ago, and a lot has changed. I know with my workflows, that certainly has. It has, because when we did this, the, the iPhone was still new. Um, there was no iPad, and mail on the Mac has been completely revamped. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to talk about with mail. And we even got you using Gmail a little bit. Yeah, yeah so. I'm using Gmail now. Before, I was, uh, that was verboten to me. Mm. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, before we get into email clients, uh, let's just talk about email protocols, because uh, that's something I think throws a lot of people. Yep. Um, so the, the two big ones you hear about are POP and IMAP. Right. And, and that's, you know, gibberish to a lot of people. But hey, you know, let's talk about it. So POP is post office protocol. I think it's the older standard. And, um, you know, protocols in general are just how does the internet deal with your email you know how does it know what to do with it does it keep it does it send it to you these are the uh, the standards that were developed when people first started writing emails to each other and uh, so the way pop works is there's a server out there somewhere and it's got your email message on it so when you i send an email to katie it takes the, uh, the server takes the uh, the email and it waits until katie checks in and says katie says hey i'm here and then it sends that email message right down to her computer and it removes it from the server Generally. Now, Pop has gotten a little bit smarter in the years, and Pop will now maybe hang on to messages for 30 days or 60 days or however long you tell it to. But generally, that's how it works, is Pop doesn't hold the messages on the server forever. It sends it away, and it sends it to you. Yeah, and the idea was that, hey, the best place for this message is with the person who it belongs to. And it's really the old letter paradigm. When I send a letter to you, uh, the, the post office doesn't keep a copy of my letter. Thank goodness. The letter gets delivered to Katie, and it's in her possession. And that made sense when everybody had one computer and one place they checked email because it didn't matter. 
Uh, however, now we all have multiple computers. We've got a computer at work, computer at home. We've got a, an iMac or an iPad, an iPhone, all this stuff. And uh, uh, having one device pull down your email uh, is not good because then the others don't see it. So as an example, I send the email to Katie over a pop server. She downloads it on her iMac, and then she checks on her iPhone, and it's not there. And it's not anywhere on her iPhone because when her iPhone looks at the server, the server says, I got nothing. Right. Or I run into the other problem where I've specifically, because I'd rather have my email than not have it, I either tell my pop server to hang on to that email a little bit longer and it will send it to me again. And I've already dealt with the email on my Mac and I really don't want to see it again. And now I've got this junk mail that I have to deal with again on my iPhone. Yeah, and, and that really was a response when people started getting multiple devo- devices. They they would send an instruction to the pop server saying, okay, instead of sending it down to me and getting it off your server, just keep it on your server. And that's exactly what would happen when you check with a different device. It would look at that as a brand new message no matter what. So if Katie had got my email message and realized that it was junk and thrown it away, then when she went to her iPhone, she'd get the same message again. Oh, God, I got to deal with this guy again. Yeah, and you'll hear that from your friends. Uh, you know, sometimes you get calls from people that say, "You know, I just don't understand this email. I try to get rid of stuff." And it's why am I getting duplicate messages? Or yeah. why am I not getting my messages? And usually, it's because they're using like the ISP server that came with their cable company, or you know, something you know, some real simple ISP service. I hate and, those for totally different reasons. We'll get into yeah. later. Yeah, but that I think that's the most common experience and. And I've done this with several friends, especially when they get a new iPhone is usually when I hear from people about this. So then I set them up with a Gmail account or a mobile me or an iCloud, which is coming. And all of a sudden their mail works because they use a different standard and that standard is IMAP. So an an IMAP is called Internet Message Access Protocol. Uh, I believe it's a newer standard, but it's really still very old Mm -hmm. uh, in Internet world. Uh, So what it does is rather than... The server is smarter, I guess, is the best way to summarize it. The server, there's a two-way communication. With Pop, it, the, you know, the server just crams that email down to your computer or holds it, but it doesn't know what you did with it on your end. Uh, with IMAP, there's two-way communication. The server is checking with your mail app, and it's saying, okay, uh, what are you doing with these things? So, And it holds a copy. So now you know, the post office is holding your letter, in essence. And what we do is we have an IMAP service. Um, you get a an email down from David to Katie and Katie throws it in her trash. And then when she logs on with her iPhone, her iPhone checks the server. The server says, Oh yeah, that message I sent to her iMac got put in a trash. So I'm going to put it in the trash on the IMAP server. And when the iPhone sees it, it puts that message on the iPhone in the trash. So all of this stuff is done without you having to take extra steps. And I realize that I'm simplifying this and, you know, don't write me about it because I understand that. But I think in general, that's the way IMAP works, and that's what makes it so wonderful with people using multiple internet devices. All right, and you can also create folders on your IMAP servers. And this is also another point of confusion: is you can create, especially with mail clients, you can either create folders on your IMAP server or you can create folders on your mail clients. And if you create folders on your IMAP server and put messages in those folders on the server, then you have access to messages in those folders on multiple devices. But if you create folders in your email client that are stored locally on your email client, um, then you don't have access to those those folders on multiple devices. Yeah, and if you're a Mac user and you're using the Mail app, 
the real world example of this is when you create a new folder, it asks you to make it on my Mac. That's what it'll say, on my Mac. And if it says that, you're creating a folder that IMAP doesn't see. But if you create it in your mobile me account or your iCloud account or whatever IMAP service you're using, then you're good. Now, problems with, with IMAP is now IMAP does store your messages on the server. Some people have security concerns with that. I think they're generally concer- security concerns with mail overall. So I, I don't know how much I'm worried about that compared to the overall security concerns there are associated with using email. My, my general rule of thumb is I don't put anything top secret in email anyway. Um, I just think that's good policy. Yeah. And, um, and, be careful what you put in email. That's true. I always tell clients, don't write anything in an email that you wouldn't want on the front page of the New York Times. Okay. Um, the other thing is that just because something is on the server in IMAP, now there have been instances, and there was a big Google instance a couple of months ago, where your server, or your service provider can screw up and they can lose your email. So you do want to make sure that you have a way to back up that mail. And most mail clients, including Apple Mail, does have a way for you to store a local copy on your computer. Yeah. And we're going to cover that later in the show. Right. Um, IMAP does require storage. So you want to make sure that if you're getting gigs and gigs and gigs of email, you may have to buy for extra storage. MobileMe does give you up to 20 gigs. When we switch over to iCloud, that's going to be limited, I think, to five. But you can buy more. And then the Gmail limit is ever-changing. Yeah. And for this show, we're going to talk about MobileMe and iCloud. But I think we're going to focus more on iCloud because very shortly that's going to be the way to do it and you know they don't even sell mobile me anymore right we're a little bit in the no man's land right now you you if you wanted to today on the day we're recording the show sign up for a me.com account you could not do it unless you were a developer yeah and iCloud there's a lot of public information out about iCloud and email so there's enough that we can talk about how it's going to work uh, so that those are a couple standards, IMAP and POP, and they're by far the most standard, or I'm sorry, the most common standards. Uh, but there are some others. Uh, one of them is Gmail IMAP. Gmail IMAP is a little different. They they do things a little bit differently than the traditional IMAP server does, and sometimes there's some tweaks that you need to do to learn how to play nice with Gmail IMAP with your with your mail clients. If you live in the Gmail world and you just use your, a lot of people like Gmail web interface and never use a mail client with it, and more power to them. I don't. I don't particularly like the Gmail interface, although it has gotten better. It's a lot prettier. Yeah. Um, One of my gri- gripes with Gmail was I always thought it was just ugly. And just recently they've started to, to, I think, make the interface look better. Right. There was a great article that was in Macworld a couple of months ago, and I've put a link into the show notes, which shows you how to make Gmail work well with Apple Mail. And it includes turning on some of the Gmail, the Google Labs features um, to include some advanced IMAP controls so you can customize your labels and you can enable IMAP archiving and you can map um, certain mail settings and fine tune those and map certain folders to certain things. So it, it makes it a little, little more user friendly. Yeah. And you know, the problem with Gmail on Apple mail and frankly, the problem with Gmail with just about any mail server is Gmail uses these tags and that's what, you know, makes Gmail so innovative because it doesn't limit you to how you categorize your email. Uh, but those tags are essentially IMAP, Folders. folders. And so you can have one email in Gmail with multiple tags, and then it shows up in your mail client as being in multiple IMAP folders, which is 
doesn't make sense because the way IMAP is supposed to work is one email only goes one place. And that causes some confusion for your mail client. So uh, that's why I think a lot of people prefer the Gmail web uh, client because it just solves that problem. Um, but if you're going to use it with, uh, with the mail app, you, it can work. And, and Katie's right, this macro article is excellent. It goes through it. But we're not going to spend you know, the rest of the show explaining how to do this because you can go read the article. Yeah, but we could do a whole th- show on that. Th- there is some confusion. It's not that easy. It's, it's not stupid easy to just start using Gmail in your mail app, although it, it does work. Um, there's also Exchange, which is another popular protocol that's used for many businesses. Now, fortunately, um, if you're using ex- a, a relatively newer version of Exchange, like Exchange 2007, Apple Mail, your iPhone, and your iDevices will pick it up almost seamlessly, and all you have to do is put in your username and your password. That's all I had to do to set up Exchange. In fact, it was a lot easier to set up Exchange on my Mac than it was for the tech guy to set up Exchange on my PC at the office. But if you're using an older version of it, and that, by the way, will sync uh, contacts, calendars, and email. But if you're using an older version of Exchange, David, not so good. Yeah, I'm one of those people. My my office is on Exchange 2003, which is remarkably now almost 10 years old. Uh, but uh, it does not work with Mac. It, there are some, some workarounds for it. Uh, one of them for mail is to use what they call the Exchange IMAP settings in mail. In, in the Apple Mail account, you can set up what they call an Exchange IMAP. And if IMAP, IMAP is enabled on your exchange server, uh, then it works sort of. Uh, and right now I'm sure there are, there are IT people screaming at their radios, but generally that works. Uh, and sometimes find, your IT people won't let you do that. You're, you're fortunate that you're in a small office and you can kind of do what you want. Yeah, exactly. Huh. And uh, I find that, you know, because I've got this older exchange server, uh, I don't generally deal with work email from my Mac laptop. It, what I do is I... I use it. I've done this a couple different ways. I used to just have them forward a copy to my personal account, and I basically used it as a clearinghouse for uh, putting uh, work tasks into OmniFocus. And I didn't respond to it, but the, the emails would come in, then I'd have a copy of it, so I knew what was going on. Uh, using the Exchange IMAP, that's a little better because then I get sent emails and received emails, and I think it just makes a little more sense. But I still really don't process it on my Mac. I mainly use it to set up tasks in OmniFocus. Um, and as, uh, in contrast, my iOS devices, my iPad and my iPhone work just dandy with the old 2003 exchange server and you just put it in and you're good to go and it gets the calendars and the contacts and the email just fine, which is kind of funny that the, the little portable device, the less powered device is actually better at handling exchange email than the Mac. Yeah. But that's really a, a function of my old exchange server. And, and I've had this conversation with you a few times on the show over the years and, I think it's becoming increasingly less relevant because who out there really is on Exchange 2003 except me? Hmm. There, I think there are a lot of people. I don't think you're alone. Yeah. Well, we're talking in my office. I think we're going to, uh, when the, it's time for the server to die, we're going to look into some of these cloud-based and maybe Google we're, solutions. We're having that same discussion at our office. Our mail server is going, and, and we're discussing Google Docs. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, it, the the best... A client for Exchange, which we'll get into later, is Microsoft Outlook, I think, on the Mac. But uh, Exchange is a, a Microsoft product, so if you work on that, uh, there is a way to do it. There are some other uh, email protocols. I think we're going to stop there with the, the big ones we just covered. And um, But 
getting back to the pop versus IMAP, do you have any recommendation? Why use pop? Yeah. If you have one device and your email service is an old pop service, I guess you don't have to change, but I, I still think you should. Well, and, and let's, let's be realistic that change is hard changing your email, especially if your email provider does not offer IMAP. Yeah, it can be difficult to change your email. I've, I've had the same email address for probably 10, 15 years. And yeah. It would be very difficult for me to change. Thankfully, my email, my primary email address does, does offer IMAP. Um, but there, there are ways to do it with, with minimal pain. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, I think e- IMAP, I think, is far superior. I, I just really can't think of any advantages to using pop over IMAP unless you were so, so, so security conscious that you just cannot stand the idea of the message staying on the IMAP on the pop server. But, you know, I got news for you. The message probably does stay on the pop server for a while longer than you would like it anyway. You don't know how often they clear their logs or whatnot. Yeah. My sister has been using pop for like 20 years and it's a local ISP account where she lives and she's perfectly happy with it. But mm-hmm. she told me when the new iPhone comes out, she's going to get one. And I said, okay, and then you're going to get a new email address too. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with the tech support. Okay. Yeah. So when she gets her new phone, we're going to get her an iCloud email, and she's just going to send a note to all her friends, and she's going to transition. I, I don't know many people, frankly, that use Pop. And I bet of the people who listen to the show, there's very few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All okay. right. Well, let, I've got some tips for your sister. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. All right. Um, so do we want to talk about the various email services? Why not? Let's hit them. Okay. Well, there's iCloud, formerly MobileMe. And actually, email loses a little bit of features with iCloud because it used to be that you used to have all these email aliases, which, you know, I set up, but I never really used. Yeah, I, I set them up too. I have the shopping one. I have the spam one. I have the, the junk website one. And uh, somewhere along the line, I just stopped using them all except the main one. Right. So iCloud is, is free. It's one account per person, and it's IMAP, and, yeah. and it will work with all of your, your iDevices, and it pushes all of your email out, just like MobileMe does. And so when you say that one account, one person, you have to think about that in relation to the way MobileMe worked, where you could have a family account, and you could have multiple main email addresses on that one family account, which is what we did in my house. Uh, so when we make this transition to iCloud, each person is going to have their very own iCloud account. And all this will be seamless when it happens. But, but considering that you're not paying for it anymore, yeah, that's less of, a, less of an issue. Yeah, it, it's a different paradigm, though. And, and when you think about it in terms of there is something you pay for if you want to get extra, extra um, size or extra storage, uh, that will be on a per-person basis. So, you know, my, my eight-year-old's, account is going to be just fine with the five gigabytes as is my 14 year old, but my wife's account, we probably will have to pay for something because I'm sure her email archive is over five gigabytes. Mm-hmm. Well, she actually will get grandfathered in for a year with her yeah. mobile name, but other than that, she'll have to move eventually. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I find iCloud and mobile me for that matter, really nice because it works with the Apple ecosphere, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. uh, Everything just works. And, you know, that's one of the reasons a lot of us are using these Apple products to begin with is, uh, you know, we're tired of the pain and suffering in the Windows side, you know, at least that I experienced. And I like the fact that everything just works together. And that's a really good reason to, to use iCloud for your mail. Right. Mail does have, or um, 
I guess uh, iCloud does have some server-based rules, and and I am not privy to the developer build, so I I can only speak from what's going on with with the current me.com. Although the 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 server-based rules are somewhat handicapped, I think compared to other providers. So I hope that's one area that they'll beef up. Yeah. Um, but they're there, and and they do help. You know, for example, if you've got that one person that will not stop emailing you, just add them to your little exclude list. Yeah, and there's also rules that you can put in in the mail app, which we'll cover later. Right. Um, there's other benefits to iCloud. You know, you've got all the other services with iCloud, with the calendaring and the contacts, and you know, iTunes in the cloud, and all these other things you can do once you get once it gets uh, released. Right. I think if you have a an iPhone or an iPod Touch or an iPad. I can't think of any reason not to have an iCloud account, even if you don't want to use it as your primary email address. Yeah. Well, I, I, think I mean, the, for Find My iPhone alone. And the document syncing is going to be awesome, although that's way out of the scope of the show, so we'll sk- I won't get into it. But I think it's going to be really worth it just for that. Right. Uh, there's web access. It's, uh, it's public knowledge now that they have web access, just like they did for MobileMe. So if you've got an iCloud account in your on a computer at work and you want to check your iCloud email, you can do that from the web. You know, people say, why do we need this? I actually do this all the time. You know, if I'm going to compose a lengthy email, I still rather do that from my keyboard at work rather than my, my iPhone. Yeah. So. yeah. Although, as I pointed out before, we are currently in a little bit of a no man's land. So as of this date, you cannot create a me.com account unless you're a developer. And I, you know, I, I never really understood this. And I have had people who have gotten new iPhones and and new iPads and wanted to create a me.com address and couldn't do it. I, I don't get that. Yeah. Well, I think they but don't want enough. people, they don't want people paying for mobile me anymore because well, fine. That's, Make, you know, do some yeah. kind of basic free service. I don't know. Well, we'll see now there is uh, so you get free five gigabytes. Mm-hmm. If you want to get more, uh, you can do it for cost uh, 10 gigabytes extra bringing you to 15 total is $20 a year. 20 gigabytes bringing you to 25 is 40. And if you want 50 gigabytes, which combined with the free five gets you to 55, it's $100 a year. You know, I think I'm, I'm probably going to be, at least for now, with email being the big bulk of, of my data use, because, you know, they do exclude your, your photo sync. Um, I think I'm going to be okay with 10 for a total of 15. So 20 bucks a year is not bad. I'm a, I have a family account, mobile me account. I'm in the developer program. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went ahead and transitioned my personal mobile me stuff over to iCloud as part of, you know, just to see how it's all going. And, and they, I currently have subscribed a 20 gigabyte, $40 a year. Right. I, I, they must have just done that for me because I paid for mobile me. I don't know. But. Well, the, the first year, the first year, because you're a paid mobile me subscriber, you'll get 25. Yeah. yeah everybody yeah. will. Okay, so iCloud is one way to go about it. Another one that's very popular is Gmail. Gmail is free, although you do have that pesky little problem we've talked about where there is an, an automated system that is that is reading your email and serving you ads based on it. That freaks some people out. Yeah. I get it. I'm one of those. It freaks you out. Uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I I don't believe that, you know, Gmail is is targeting me or somebody over there is reading my email. I think those guys at Google are pretty busy, you know, but the, uh, I do know that's how they make their money is by serving ads. And when someone sends me an email talking about, you know, a woodworking 
tool, and then there's an ad for that very tool on the sidebar. It it just is just weird. Yeah, that's that's why I use a Gmail and a mail client, so I don't see the ads. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Aren't it's they still, still happening. It's still happening, but I don't see it. So see, hear no evil, see no evil. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but there's there's some real benefits of Gmail. They've got you know legendary spam filtering. Oh, you know, I use another spam filtering product called SpamSiv that we'll talk about later, but it's it's, it's poor SpamSiv. It's really knocked down its work. Yeah, yeah. And then they've got, I think, more robust server-based rules. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very willing to try new things over at Google. Uh, they've got, you know, I forget the name of it, and I should have looked this Google up. Google Labs? Well, not Google Labs, but they have a they have a service where it picks out what it thinks are the most the priority oh priority inbox, inbox yeah yes it's uh it's amazing where it knows like you know when your friends send you or you know when you get an email that is something that you're going to want to see if you get a lot of email it's a priority inbox I mean, what so, a great so the, idea the email from David Sparks is more important than the email from Pottery Barn most days always most, always maybe um. <laughs> The the one thing that I have used, and this is where I, here's my advice to your sister, I have used Google Mail a lot um, to keep my legacy email accounts alive because one of the things that Google does is it will suck in and consolidate your old pop based accounts. Yeah. So if you are living in the now, it does not do this with IMAP based accounts. Although most IMAP accounts have a feature where you can forward mail from one account to another account. So if you have an old pop-based account that you're not ready to get rid of yet, he, here's my advice. Uh, go into, you know, sign up for a Gmail account. Go into the Gmail account settings. And um, under the settings, you can import your pop settings for your, for your old account. And um, I've done this with AOL accounts. I've done this with old ISP accounts. I've done this with old accounts um, back from when I was a student. They had, you know, I've still got my old student email addresses that I still occasionally um, get alumni association and, and, and very rarely do I get things from, from people that are legitimate, but sometimes I do that I don't want to miss. So I've got Gmail sucking in all of this stuff through pop. And the way that it works is it checks it, I believe at least once an hour, but if it gets mail, it will check it more frequently. Um, and it does all of its magical Gmail spam filtering, because as you can imagine, if these are old accounts that you're not using very frequently, you're going to get a lot of spam in them. So what I've done is I've taken all these old accounts and I've put um, vacation autoresponders on there. And I've said, hi, your emailing account that is no longer active, my new account is. And then I, I tweak the language such that hopefully a spam bot can't read it, but a live person, if they're paying attention, can. And then I usually put some kind of threatening language that says, I will no longer be monitoring this account after 30 days. If you don't update your address book, I won't get your email. But, you know, they don't know that Gmail's actually filtering it. Um, so the old the pop stuff sucks in. Gmail does its magical spam filtering. And then because Gmail is not my primary email account, what I then have Gmail do is after Gmail does all its magical spam filtering is I then have Gmail forward all of its mail to um, my primary account. And I have the benefit of all of my old legacy mail, all of the spam filtering, and I can still use all of the benefits of my me.com account. Kind of funny. We had this conversation, I think, the first time we did this show because I I just love killing old email accounts and abandoning them. I probably will at some point, but I, I don't make anything. it. I don't make it easy. I, you know, I don't. I don't follow them. I, I have some old ISP accounts. I just killed them. I don't care if, if somebody you figure from that they account, can find you. Yeah, exactly. That's probably true. Yeah, you know, but uh, 
I think it, more than anything, those accounts just get clogged up with junk mail lists and whatnot. I just I gave up on them. I I enjoy just like leaving. I did the same thing when I got my iPhone. I dumped my old phone number. They said, "Well, don't you want to transfer your phone number?" I said, "No, I don't." That way, you know, you know, the people that used to have my cell phone don't necessarily have it anymore. And now you have to earn your, your earn your way back on the list again. Well, that's that's not a bad idea. But I yeah. think this this is probably a good policy for somebody who's changing their email account and le- yeah. legitimately wants people to be able to find them. Yeah, so. that's just me. Okay, okay, it's an uh, option. Yeah, and, and another way, and we've kind of bounced around this a little bit is is work related accounts. You know, and then you're just using whatever. You're stuck with whatever they give you. Yeah, but but here's but, the thing. Be careful on your work-related accounts. I have known more than one person who has been fired because of junk that they've done on their work-related accounts. And you really have no right to privacy with your email at your office. Mm-hmm. And uh, so think about that. And we make that very clear in our office because we check our assistants' accounts and our, our coworkers' accounts as necessary when they're on vacation or when they're out of the office. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not exactly the place to complain about your boss. Yeah, and and do yourself a favor and don't make your work-related account your primary account. There, just don't don't put your personal business there. Just yeah. you know. Anyway, moving on. ISP accounts. We've we've touched on this. Don't do it. Just take whatever free account they give you. Say thank you very much and move along. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of reasons why they're usually not very good. They also. When you move, then that means you have to get a new email address, too. If you have your cable provider providing you an email and you're no longer with that cable provider, then you got to get a new email and go through all that hassle. You're better off to get something like an iCloud or a Gmail, something that's portable that can move with you wherever you are in the world. Well, and, and I have known so many people for, for many, many years here, 10 years ago, five years ago even, our, our local DSL provider was, was the dominant and primary way to get high-speed Internet access. And then the cable company came in and offered high-speed Internet access. And I know people to this day who have not switched to less expensive, higher-speed Internet access because they don't want to lose their, their uh, email account with the DSL provider. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And the other thing is is that if you have your email account through your ISP, that tends to create more problems when you're traveling and when you're not at your home location. Whereas if you have a me.com or a Gmail, you're usually using their SMTP servers and you're much more likely to get through. Throwaway accounts. How about those? My Gmail is my throwaway account, it seems. Yeah. So, you know, throwaway accounts, the idea is when you go to some website and they want an email address and you don't want to give them your real email address, you have a throwaway account. Oh, well, if it's a totally illegitimate website, I give them a fake email address. But if it's, I, I have made a practice of taking that Gmail account that I don't really use for, for anything that does all the spam filtering. Um, if you are not human, you do not get my personal email address. If you're, um, you know, any, any non-human service that I have to sign up for online, if you are my cable company or my TiVo or any of these other services that I have to give somebody an email address to, no, you do not get my personal email address. You get the Gmail address because I, you, you are not trustworthy. Yeah, but that's an account you do check. It's an account that I do check, but it's an account that, that has some additional protections on it. All right, Katie. So how many email accounts do you have at this point? Okay, well, does my Gmail account? I don't think my Gmail account counts. Okay. Because, because that just filters. That's just a filter. So if we don't count my Gmail account because it's just a filter, 
I have my personal account, which is a me account. I have my um, Mac Power Users account, and I have a work account. And I have no desire to have any more. Yeah, I've got that, and I've got a Mac Sparky account. And I, I'm, now I'm using both the Mac Power Users and the Mac Sparky, depending on where the email comes in. Yeah. And they're all IMAP. Yeah. I have a Gmail account, too. And uh, I'm on some mail servers and some things with a Gmail account. And, I'm, and the Mac Power Users is now a Gmail account. Well, I did that primarily because we were getting a ton of spam there. We've gotten our email address has gotten out, and the Gmail has really filtered that down. And it's also been good for me because I've always felt like I wasn't really paying enough attention to Gmail. And this gives me a daily account that I work with that's in Gmail. So now I can say I use it and have a better idea how it works. Right. Um, Okay, well, that's, I think that's pretty standard. I mean, most people have a personal and a work account, and we've got this other little you know, thing going on, so we've got some accounts for that as well. Yeah. It is like a side job. Yeah. Yeah. A fun side job. It's a fun side job. Okay. Uh, well, you know, before we go on to uh, talking about how we use this email protocols and systems on our computers, let's talk about our first sponsor. Our first sponsor is the Omni Group, and I think today we're going to talk about OmniFocus because OmniFocus relates quite a bit to mail because most of the things that I have to do in my life somehow come to me through email. And if they come to me through email, usually they're telling me that I have to do something or it needs to be something that's on my radar, and I've got to get it into my OmniFocus because if it's not in my OmniFocus, it doesn't exist, right? Yes. Okay. So how do I do that, David? Well, there are a couple the- of ways. Yeah, there are. I mean, you can you can make a new OmniFocus task and just say, you know, respond to Katie email, or you can use the Clipatron, which the is Clipatron three thousand. Yeah, so you set up a key combination, and when you're viewing the email in the Mail app, you just hit that key combination, and it creates a task in OmniFocus with a link to the original email message, and that's important. I'm going to explain why in a minute. And the text of the source email in the comment for the task. So very easily, you can have everything you need uh, within an OmniFocus task item. And that means you don't need to see it in mail as much. And uh, I use this for work and personal business all the time. So an email comes in from Katie, and it's really important, but I don't have time to deal with it today. Hey, hey. I'll hit the Clipatron, and then that'll create a new task. And I'll say, okay, on Saturday, I'm going to deal with this. And on Saturday, OmniFocus pops up with a task that has the email from Katie, and it's got a little original uh, email link in it. So I tap that, and it opens the message. So I can get right back into the message to respond to it from OmniFocus. And the thing that frees me to do, which I'm going to explain later in the show, is once I've got that email linked to a task in OmniFocus, I just dump it in my archive. I don't have to worry about filing it or Finding it later, I know OmniFocus link will will get it back for me. So it's a great way to work with email, and it doesn't work with just uh, Apple Mail. It works with some of the other mail clients we're going to talk about, and uh, just a great app. I mean, uh, I can't say enough about how much I use OmniFocus. Uh, we d- I did a great series of screencasts on them. They're not in the five by five feed, and that we did get messages on that. I'm going to be working on figuring out how we're going to deal with that. Uh, but uh, it's just you know it really works well. Oh, you know, another thing you can do with OmniFocus and mail is you can have it auto-generate an OmniFocus task by forwarding an email to an account at OmniGroup. Yeah, I love that. That's great on on the iPad and the iPhone. 
and at, on your work account. If you're you know, sitting at Outlook at work and you want to get yourself a task for your OmniFocus on your Mac, you just email it to this, this email address and they bounce it back. And then you just click a link in the email and it booms, it's in there. So you can get OmniFocus for $80 in the App Store for the Mac. And they also have versions for the iPad and the iPhone, which work equally well. Um, So you can check them out, and you can find more information about everything Omni does at omnigroup.com, and we thank them for their support of the Mac Power user. All right, so let's talk about email on the Mac. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of clients. You know, we've talked about what protocol you're going to use and which mail service you're going to use. Now let's talk about how you're going to work with email on your Mac. I think Apple has really come of age with, with email on the Mac with Lion. I think mail in Lion has finally arrived for, for years. I have used Apple mail, but I have found that it has been, you know, kind of, kind of short on features compared to some other mail programs. And that's probably a reason why a lot of people haven't used Apple mail. Maybe I'm a fanboy Cause I always thought the old email was pretty good on, on even before Lion. Okay. But it's so much better now. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely a change. Uh, I, I like it for the better. I haven't talked to too many people who don't like it for the better, but you can enable the old classic view if you want. There's a way you can do it. But Which is where your, your messages are on the top and the preview pane is on the bottom. Yeah. But they, I think they did look at you know, all these um, third-party plugins for the old mail and said, well, maybe we need to put some of this stuff into the app. Yeah, and that kind of hurts because it takes some third-party developers out of business. But I think it ultimately makes the mail app stronger. So. Yeah. You, you can do two or three columns, and I still have mine set up in the three-column view because I like seeing I, – I do have, and I know, David, you don't have as many, but I do have quite a few folders set up in mail, more so with my work accounts than with my personal accounts because we still organize things in folders at work. Um, but I do have quite a few folders that I have to organize my work email into. Um, okay, and what you're talking about is the far-left column, the mailboxes column. Correct. And uh, so on top of the mailboxes column in the new mail, there's a hide show button. And if you click hide, then that, that far left column disappears. And if you hit show, then it comes back. And it's a list of all your accounts and folders. Uh, so it gives you the whole hierarchical structure of your email. Now, I would imagine the way you do email, you might be able to get away without it. Yeah, I don't use it. Yeah, I didn't think you did. And we'll yeah. talk a little bit about how you do email a little yeah. later. Um, the interface has been completely redesigned. Um, of course, you can go into full screen mode if you want to. But one of the features that I like best about mail is we finally, 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 finally have an archive button. Yeah. I don't know how long it took for them to get that. Google Mail has been having it, uh, had it forever. And we'll talk a little bit about, about archiving mail. But the, the most powerful feature in the new mail is searching. Yeah, they really fix that. Um, for example, if I know that David sent me an email uh, this past week that I need to review, I can start typing David, and it will come up with people. And I've got a couple of Davids in my address book. David Sparks usually comes up on top because he knows that David Sparks is the David I email most. So I can arrow down and say, okay, David Sparks. And then I can also search for a time frame. So I can say yeah. David Sparks within the last week, and all the emails from David Sparks within the last week are there. Yeah, so there's there's a little bit to that. They're called uh, search tokens. And so you can have multiple tokens on a search, which is kind of neat. So like she said, you can have a, da- a name uh, and you can have a date. And the date tokens are not immediately intuitive. For instance, if you want 
this week, you'd start typing this week. But you know, there's no way to know that unless you start typing it. Uh, the same thing for like a month or a year. You could say David Sparks, February 2011. And then it would look for David Sparks and in February 2011. The other token I could figure out in my noodling was attachments. Mm-hmm. So you could say David Sparks, February 2011 with attachments. And it would show any email I sent her that month with attachments. Um, uh, there, something that's kind of interesting is when you start typing a search or start getting these tokens built up, a little save button appears on the bottom of the window. I'm sorry, in the bottom of the search bar. And you can actually save that search as like a smart search and that you can go back and do it again later, which is kind of neat. Um, I don't know if there's any other tokens, though, than name, date, and attachments. If anybody... Well, there's subject. Is there? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see. There's one. Uh, but if there's any others that anybody knows of listening to the show, let us know. We'll put it in the follow-up. But And there's mailbox. Yeah, and I, I could not find a definitive list. Hmm. Did you find one? I did not find one, but I've just I've I've used those specifically. So you can okay. search by subject and you can search by mailbox. Well, there's an opportunity for a, a blogger. Let's let's get a really good definitive article about what all the tokens are. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. I I really like the searching and and uh, people complain about the old one being slow. Uh, I mine was never that slow. But I don't think my mail archive is is as big as some, so maybe that's why. But scrolls like butter. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Uh, the full screen mode, uh, I, th- I like the full screen mode. I use it. What makes me nuts about the full screen mode is the mobile window to compose a new email. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, listener Sunnet wrote in about that. But the, uh, So when you compose a new email in the full screen menu of, uh, of mail, line mail, it, it's a fixed window that you can't really get out of. You can't go back and look at other mail. And it's kind of nuts. I don't well, know. Yeah, line's still new. I think some of these things will be worked out. One of the things that I didn't like about full screen mode is if you've got a, a double monitor display, is that if you go into full screen mode, your other monitor is completely blank. Yeah. Well, that's just a complaint with line throughout. It's not just mail. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Uh, you know, so mail is is really. It has come of age, and they've got some other great features in there. One of them, I think, I don't know if it was uh, Leopard or Snow Leopard, where they brought data detectors into mail, but I use those all the time. I think they've gotten a lot better in line. Yeah, so data detectors look at any email that comes into you, and they look for contact and calendar information that they can glean from that email. So if uh, Katie writes me and says, let's have lunch next Thursday, um, next Thursday will be highlighted. And if I click that, it'll allow me to create a calendar item right from that email event. Yeah, it makes you really want to stay in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, it just works, you know. And uh, uh, with contact information for my work-related stuff, that's one of the advantages of having my work email on my Mac. Even though I don't use the email account so much, it allows me to quickly capture contact information for attorneys uh, for use on my various databases and contact lists. So I use mail rules quite a bit within within Apple Mail. I've got a, a mail rule that's set up for spam sieve. I've got mail rules set up for a bunch of email lists that I'm I'm a part of so that instead of going into my email, my inbox that those those email lists um dump directly into specific folders so I don't have everything in my inbox. Um I had a mail rule set up to archive all my messages, but that's that's a little less important now now that we've got the archive feature and I'll talk about that later. 
Um, there's the send to OmniFocus mail rule, but but you've got a spammer mail rule that I I want to hear about. Yeah. Uh, so to use rules in mail in mail app, you go in the preference pane and there's a rules button. And so the rules are very customizable. You can set all kinds of parameters and instructions. Uh, anything from you know changing the color of a message to playing a sound when you get a message from your boss or mm-hmm. your wife. Uh, or uh, you know all these things. you can make the icon jump. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. But this is one of my more ingenious rules. Uh, okay. So I've got I've got some friends and family who like to send those joke emails that they forward all the time. And uh, one of them was somebody who is a is a friend who also occasionally sends me an email that's pretty important. Okay. So I had to figure a way out so I didn't have to see any of her junk email. But I did uh, get those important emails, and uh, so and I told her, please don't send them to me, and she does anyway. So I tried that; it didn't work. But I, I didn't want to just cut this person off, which is what I usually do, to be honest. Uh, so what I did was I came up with a rule, and I looked at all the spam she sent out as to the, the same people, and there's some people on that list who I've never heard of. Ah, right? I like where this is going. Yeah. So I set up a rule that says if I get a message from that person. And there's a copy to this other person, then trash it. That's great. That's brilliant. I'm going to yeah. use that. Because I've got this one guy who I do occasionally need to get messages from, but he will not remove me from the stupid email list that he sends out. Yeah. So if it is, um, so I say there's a from field. So if it's from spam friend, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, and then if there is a CC. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, if there's a two in the two field contains this other person who I don't know. Oh, she doesn't even BCC you? That's rude. Yeah. No, it's just a two. She sends it to everybody. So it's like they all go in the two field. This is not a really sophisticated email user. So in the two field, she puts like a list of like, you know, 30 people and sends this stuff out. Uh, So that's the two fields I use. Uh, So it's from and to. So if you look in the rule, you look if it's from spammer and it's also to stranger then move message to trash. And, uh, and also, I would mark it as red. Yeah, yeah, it does that too. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that's one of my rules. I, I've got a couple. I, I'm just resetting up this computer I'm working on so I can't read off all my rules. But uh, would, would it be horrible if I said I'm going to do that to my grandmother? She sends me all those forwards. Yeah, it works though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But yet I still need to get email from her. But in contrast, the server-side rules don't work that well. The server-side rules would just say anything from this person put in the trash. You couldn't have that degree of granularity. Right. Yeah. Um, I like you, it. There's another thing you can do with the mail app, and, and I hadn't really done this before, but as part of kind of switching over to Lion, I thought it was worth looking into, is you know, there's a lot of good keyboard shortcuts if you're using mail. You uh, like keyboard shortcuts. I do, and I never really got into it, but, you know, like, Command-R is reply, mm-hmm. and then Shift-Command-R is reply to all. Uh, Shift-Command-F is forward, and full screen is Control-Command-F. And you can get out of full screen the same way. So, there's some nice uh, keyboard shortcuts for you. Good deal. Uh, I also understand with the new uh, Lion Mail um, and I haven't used this one as well. This this tip came in from Sunnet as well. Uh, you know, uh, in Lion Mail, you can drag email boxes to the top bar, right? Almost like a, almost like a 
uh, tool, I'm sorry, almost like the Safari bookmarks bar, but right. it's for mail. Um, so I understand you can you can access those. Uh, they correspond to the command number key. So oh, first okay. so one, command is, one, gotcha. Yeah, command one is the first one. Command two is the next one. So you can jump to those. And since I don't use that third column, I have a few of my most important mailboxes uh, up in that top bar. Your most important mailboxes being your three mailboxes or four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have two for each account. I have the action and the archive for each account. Gotcha. Okay. You can also, Mail does have built-in stationery, which I use very, very rarely, but it, it seems to be more compatible now with, with other email browsers. I've had a problem where if I've sent something in Mail stationery that it hasn't been viewable to other people, but there's, there's more stationary now. And it, if your to-do needs are simple, and I really wish my to-do needs were this simple because I would love to use um, Mail and iCal for all of my to-dos. And Mail does have a built-in to-do manager um, that hopefully will sync with the iPhone with iOS 5. But until then, um, you can use busy, busy to-do. Yeah. I, uh, you know, this is in the outline, but would you send, you know, the stationary subject got me thinking about this. Do you send email out as plain text or rich text? I think I send it out as, as rich text. I probably yeah. should as plain text. Yeah. I use plain text uh, unless I'm embedding links or something. Right. Well, that's another good uh, keyboard shortcut, Command-K. What do so, link? Yeah, so if you've got an email you're sending to somebody and you know, you've got this long cryptic, you know, YouTube URL or something, or an iPad app store URL. So you say, you know, clicky here, and you just highlight those two words and hit Command-K, and then paste in your link. Uh, and that gets the link embedded into those two words. And that's not a plain text message at that point. Um, and the, the benefit of this is when you send a long link to somebody, a lot of times the email will put a carriage return in the middle of that link because it's longer than a line, so the recipient gets it and it doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, I've had I've had that happen too. Yeah, so you embed it with the command K trick in mail and you're good to go. All right. RSS management. Now mail does have a built-in RSS reader, although I I probably have I would say several dozen, if not a hundred or more RSS feeds that I monitor, and that's just too much to come into Apple Mail for me. But I think this does have a purpose. If you only monitor one or two RSS feeds, I think this would make sense. This is not a Mac Power user's uh, RSS solution. No. <laughs> uh, it is, however, when you're setting up the, uh, the computer for your mom and you want her to be able to see the family photo gallery or something, you, you set up the RSS in mail. That's who you use this stuff for. Yeah, I think that But if you're sense. really into RSS, move on. Yeah. Otherwise, you get rid of it. Um, so some favorite, uh, you can uh, add on to mail. Some of the mail add-ons have not been as necessary since they've made some updates to mail. But one of my favorite add-ons is mail act-on uh, because it does give you some uh, above and beyond email rules. You can have inbox and outbox rules. And it also gives you some great keyboard shortcuts so you can pop up a mail act-on window. And if you want to send certain messages to certain folders without ever touching the mouse, you can set up rules and keyboard shortcuts and keystrokes to do that. Um, so there's mail act-on. And mail act-on, the, the point that you made there that you shouldn't, um, that you need to focus on is it applies rules to outgoing messages. Right. I mean, that's really powerful. And the keyboard shortcut filing is 
it's it's critical to me. Just you know, I hit Command S or whatever, and the message goes to a mailbox. It makes it really fast. I think that's probably the most important add-on for mail. I agree. If you and do then, nothing else, do mail like that. But they yeah, have another the, product, same company. Yeah. So Indev also makes mail tags, and I talked about this at length in in the Mac at Work book, and. Uh, I realized, though, I don't use this app anymore. I don't know at what point I stopped using it, but I guess I just stopped tagging mail. Uh, so what Mail Tags does is it allows you, it's, I think it's 30 bucks, and allows you to apply tags that, that work with IMAP so the tags go across all your uh, mail clients. It's a great app, and uh, allows you to uh, tag messages with specific subjects or, you know, it's tags. So... Uh, if you're putting everything in an archive, you want an ability to still find it later. Uh, you use these tags, but I just stopped using it. I think probably a year or two ago, and I don't even have it installed on my computer anymore. So, well, I think the better search has gotten. Maybe the less we've had the need for tags. Yeah, and I just I still can't get my head wrapped around tags. I know we did the show with Brett, and I I just can't. It just seems to me like all the time you spend tagging or putting messages in folders is time lost. Yeah. A lot of uh, Gmail power users I know use Mailplane, and uh, it apparently, you know, it brings the more of a Mac-like uh, interface to Gmail for you. It, it includes the keyboard shortcuts from the website. It's pretty neat. I don't use it though. Do you? No, I don't use it. I just pulled Gmail into into Apple Mail. Okay. With some of the tips from that MacWorld article we talked about. Yeah, and I made reference, and this is one thing that's changed for the better since we last talked about mail, is, is Outlook replaced um, Entourage. I never liked Entourage. I think Outlook is better. I think it has more features. It's it's more similar to the, to the PC version. I definitely use Outlook at work. Yeah. I still don't think it's up to all the tools available in the PC version. There, There's always a little bit of lag, but uh, Microsoft made a huge step forward adding Outlook to the Mac. Right. The main reason I don't use it is because I'm so entrenched in the, you know, address book iCal ecosystem. Yeah. Well, uh, the, one of the things they did that was a huge step up was they fixed the database format. Right. Uh, with because the old- it, it used to be if you got uh, corrupted, you were do- you were toast. Done. Yeah. Marilyn Mann told me once, and I thought this was a great way to explain it. He said, uh, the entourage database was like filling a cabinet in your kitchen with dynamite and pretending there was no problem. Because, <laughs> you know, you never knew when that database was going to go corrupt and you were going to lose everything. I mean, the old entourage database kept everything in one file, essentially. So if it got corrupt, you lost everything. They don't do that anymore. Thank goodness. Good I don't, for I don't know why they did it that long. Anyway, um, it's kind of interesting, though, because one change that we've had is there's a lot of kind of up-and-coming mail apps. Now suddenly other developers are getting into the space. And one of the most popular is Sparrow. Uh, Now Sparrow is available in the App Store. Uh, It has a free version and a paid version, which I will look up right now. Have you ever used Sparrow? Um, I've played with Sparrow. Yeah, I've been, I've been running it for a week just to kind of uh, see what you know what it's about. And of course, since I bought it, it says installed, so I don't know how much it costs. <laughs> All right, well, we'll figure it out and put it in the show notes. But anyway, so Sparrow is what I would call a minimal mail client. And uh, they started out really as focused on their Gmail integration, but they also support IMAP. And uh, it's, a, it's a really nice 
alternative, I guess, to put it. Sparrow's nine ninety nine. There you go. Thanks. Uh, so it's like uh, it reminds me of the Twitter app, but it's for mail. So on the left column, you've got a list of all of your accounts and you know the various boxes for your accounts. Uh, you just get a small narrow window with the accounts and the messages, and when you click on the messages, that opens them up. Um, it's got access to your labels and folders. You can send an archive. Um, you can drag uh, mails into the third-party apps like OmniFocus or Things. And uh, it's just a minimal mail interface. If, if you don't like you know, the idea of a full screen or the big window with all the mail in it, I recommend you take a look at Sparrow. I, I think it's a really a quality app. I've been taking a look at a, at a different alternative mail app called Postbox, and, and Postbox actually is cross-platform. It works with uh, Windows XP Vista and Windows 7, as well as Mac OS 10.6 and 10.7. It has a very clean, simplified, minimalistic interface. And it has a lot of the features that are now present uh, in Apple Mail under Lion. So if you're not running Lion and you're missing some of those Lion features, for whatever reason you can't upgrade, uh, Postbox may be something to take a, a look at. It, it does have 64-bit support. It has a very streamlined interface. It has um, something that, that is interesting. It, it groups accounts. So if you have a gazillion email accounts and maybe you have five personal accounts and two work-related accounts and um, you know uh, three accounts for organizations, you can now group accounts into groups. So instead of having um, individual accounts, all individual, you can now have a personal group and a work group and a charity group or, or however you want to do it. Um, and they also have what they call summarized replies, which is like a conversation view um, and a focused pane so you can look at specific topics. But probably my favorite feature of uh, Postbox that I wish Apple would implement in, in Apple Mail for Lion is they have a quick reply feature because so many times you just want to send off a one-sentence response to somebody. So when you get an email in Postbox, and you look at it in the preview plane, immediately under the email, there's a quick reply box that you can type just a couple of sentences in and hit send. And I think that's such a great feature rather than have to open up a whole new Compose window. And it can keep you right in your inbox and you can type a quick reply and just keep going. One of the downsides of Postbox, when I imported my it imported all of my information from, from uh, Apple Mail, it did not seem to support my Exchange account. So for me, that's a that's a deal breaker. But if you don't use Exchange, it may be worth looking at. And this is actually something that if I was stuck on a PC and I didn't use Exchange, I, I'd almost be much more inclined to use Postbox because I think it's a lot prettier than than some of the other options on a PC. Yeah. So at the end of the day, are you uh, are you sticking with Mail? At the end of the day, I'm sticking with mail, but I think Postbox does make a, a compelling offering. Um, it's it's got a, um, I, I think that's on special right now for 19.99, but I, I'm pretty sure that ends soon. I believe their regular price is 29.99. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I liked Sparrow. I was impressed with it, but I I'm with Lion Mail, and I doubt I'm going to change. Yeah, I I might have switched to Postbox a couple of years ago, but I think Lion Mail has made such leaps and bounds that. It's there. All right. Hey, let's talk about our next sponsor before we go on. Um, 1Password. 1Password is the app that I use on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad absolutely every day. Because I have learned, David, that it is so important, and I think everybody knows how important it is to 
not use duplicate passwords across multiple websites, to have passwords that are strong, to have passwords that are secure, to use passwords that are not dictionary words. Because, you know, this is the new normal. Sites are getting hacked. Passwords are getting compromised. And you can't afford to use the same simplified password across multiple websites, no matter how easy it may be to remember. So since we can't, you know, since all of these super strong, secure passwords are so hard to remember, we need a service like 1Password to manage all these passwords for us and so that we can remember 1Password with access to all of the others. Yeah, so it does all that for you. It creates the passwords. It tracks them for you. It's made by just spectacular people who love what they do and are dedicated to making a great product, and they succeed. Um, I'm a I'm a big zealot of 1Password. Like I've said it be in the past, I, I will tell people to put 1Password on their computers where generally I don't tell people what to do. Right. Um, you can get a version for the Mac. It's $40, or you can get a family license for 70 which gets you 5 users, you know, so get it on everybody in your household for 70 bucks. Um, you can get an iOS hybrid version. It works on both the iPhone and the iPad for $15, or you can get separate versions for either device for $10 and it works everywhere. They have a windows version. Um, I don't know if they have an Android version yet. They do uh, have an Android version. They, so they have Android now. So everything syncs over Dropbox. So you can have those passwords available everywhere. And I strongly recommend you check it out and thank them for sponsoring the show. Yeah, and if you use the link in our show notes, you can get 20% off the desktop versions. All right. Yeah. Bonus. Okay, so we've talked about the email clients on the Mac. Let's talk about email and iOS. Um, there's a couple things about it that, that throw people. First of all, is setting up an email account on iOS isn't done in the email app. And that's something people have trouble with sometimes. Uh, you actually set it up in the settings app where there's uh, a tab, I think it's called Mail, Calendar, and Contact. And you go in there, and you can set up accounts. And as it lands in your lap, the iPad and iPhone have most of the pieces in place already to set up the most common email accounts. Yeah, you can set up a me.com account, you can set up a Gmail account, a Yahoo account, an Exchange account, and just you push a button, you enter your credentials, and it will fill in the rest. And by credentials, she means you put in your name and password. Right. You know, So the battle days where you had to track down your IMAP um, server name. And, and your SMTP server and all of this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff, you don't have to worry about it. If you've got one of these common accounts, it just happens. If you've got an account that's not common, then you do have to put that in. As an example, I, I run the Max Sparky email through Hover. Mm. They, they do my web hosting. They also do my email, and they're great for the email. And, uh, but I need to put in that server information when I set up a, an email account. But you do all that in the settings app. You don't do that in the app. And uh, going back, that's going to be changing uh, for the Mac as well. You're going to be doing that. They're going to have a preference pane that's similar to that. So you're going to find a... Well, they do in line. They do have yeah. a preference pane. I couldn't remember if it was if it was already out or not. So I yes, didn't it's out. say that. Okay. It's so out. it's out already. So you can so that's kind of changing so the the two platforms mirror each other. So that's the first thing, setting up the account. Um okay, so Gmail users. This is one for you. Uh if you've got a Gmail account, uh it's easy enough to sync with your Gmail, but uh, if you want to get your contacts over to and, your iPad and your calendars and your calendars. It's not as easy. Um, and there's Gmail has a exchange server uh, system. Are you familiar with this, Katie? Well, it's, it, I, I don't think you can call it exchange, but it's exchange-esque. 
Well, no, I mean, it really can act as an exchange server, so you can get right. that stuff through the exchange. But you set it up as exchange. Yeah, exactly. Right. So have you done that? I have on my Gmail account. So what you do to set up Gmail as Exchange is, like, instead of selecting it as Google Mail, what you do is you select it as Microsoft Exchange. And in the email field, you enter your full Gmail account address. So, um, you know, whatever at gmail.com. Uh, you, you leave the domain field and you um, enter your full Gmail account uh, address as your username and your Google account password as your password. And then... It will go through the motions um, and verify. I thought you had to have a special server name too. Um, under the server, you enter m.google.com. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay, so if you do that... And that, then, that's on the next page. Yeah, so then if you do that, now your Google account is treated as an exchange account. So you get your mail, your contact, your calendars, you get everything. Anyway, that, that's a little problem people have. So I, I think that's, that's worth, uh, worth talking about. Okay, so that's kind of cool. Where were we? All right. So managing, so we've got your account set up and you know, managing mail with the app. Uh, when we last recorded this, I had this complicated workflow where I was basically feeding a lot of different email accounts into my mobile me account. And the reason was uh, the iPhone on the iOS didn't originally handle multiple accounts very well. Um, and that's not true anymore. Now you can send from any account, you can receive on any account. And at some point along the line, I gave up on all those complicated things I was doing. And I just have each account on my iPad, my iPhone, and I reply from the account that I'm working in. That works well. My, my big problem with setting up with uh, managing mail on the, the iPhone and all is still archiving. Because I, there is some email that I truly delete but most email I want to archive because I want to throw it in my archive. And I know you have an archive folder, so and I don't know, do you just do you just select the mail and group move it into the archive when you're done with it? Yeah. Okay. That's that that annoys me. I don't I don't like to do that because that just you have to hit the little the little button and then you have to select all the messages, and then you have to hit the move, and then you have to go and you have to find the archive folder and you have to move it into the archive folder. And that that has always bothered me. And I hope I do not know, David, maybe you can cough twice or something, um, that in iOS 5, the uh, iPhone mail gets an archive button like Lion does. No coughing. Okay. No, same thing. Okay. <laughs> um, but in, because if you, if you have a Gmail account, there is a little archive button. Instead of a trash button, there's an archive yeah. button. But, but if you don't, um, you know, for a mobile me account or whatever, it's just a little trash button. So my workaround to this, and, and this is, may just be my, my own stuff that I, I just don't like doing that, uh, is I have gone into the advanced settings and I have mapped my trash folder to be my archive folder. So when I hit the delete button, it doesn't actually move it to the trash, it moves it to my archive folder. Wow. So anything that I delete by hitting the little trash can icon on my iPhone actually goes to my archive folder and is in my archive folder on my Mac and all my other devices. Then how do you trash something? You, oh, that's the problem. On your iPhone, you can't. <laughs> okay. So I do end up with, with actual junk in my archive folder, but I figure it's a small price to pay to actually be able to archive messages. Well, I, uh, 
we're going to talk about how we process email in just a little bit, but I, I just go through and, and move to the archive or, or trash it or put it in action. So it's not, it's not, I don't find it that much of a problem. Uh, okay. What's if, next? If my spam filters have done their job, then I, then it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Cause there shouldn't be too much stuff that I really truly wanted to trash in my archive folder. Yeah. Oh, you know, something on iOS that's unique is text expansion. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're used to that text expander, which we'll cover in a, in a minute, but you know, text expander touch doesn't work in the mail app. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. So you have to, you can build the email in the text expander app and then send that to a mail message, which works great. Or uh, in iOS five, they have announced that there is going to be a text expansion, but it's not, it's not going to really be up to the standards of text expander. I mean, it does some things, but not everything. I don't know how much I can really say about that. Right. Well, they did announce it. It has been a, a feature yeah. that they've, they've talked about, but so it's available. We don't know a lot about it. And it's, you know, it's basically if you, it, and it's going to be system wide. So if you, if you, if you type in BRB, it's going to expand to whatever, be right back. Or I don't know. I, I don't, I don't get tech speak. I don't, I'm, I miss that generation. Yeah. So, but it's like everything Apple does. It's not going to be as feature rich as something like text expander. So it's, there's going to be a trade off. Right. I still use the text expander for my, my iPhone, a lot of composing on that, but, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And there really isn't any alternative mail apps um, in the iOS store from what I've seen. I mean, you know, like if you use Gmail, it works just fine to set up a Safari page for Gmail. And I recommend this. If you love the Gmail web interface, you know, set up a page and then save it as a bookmark to your home screen. And Gmail puts a nice little logo in and you just tap that button and you're into the Gmail uh, web interface, which I think is pretty cool. But otherwise, managing mail on the iPad or the iPhone, I think, needs to be done through mail, the mail app. Right. Now, what do you do about spam? The, uh, you know, we talked about um, a little bit earlier this app for mail.app on the Mac called SpamSiv. And it's just outstanding. It, it's always been the best. I mean, it was the best the last time we did this show. And every couple of years, Macworld does a roundup and tests all of them. And they always decide SpamSiv is the best. And uh, so I just use it. Don't I have always of- used SpamSiv. Always yeah. use SpamSiv. I've used it for years. There was a little hiccup when you, um, if you installed Lion on top of Snow Leopard, which I think most people did, where you had to go in and reactivate SpamSiv. But as soon as I figured out what was going on and I did that, it has worked flawlessly ever since. Uh, some people don't like the uh, way it shows a separate icon, you know? Oh, I fixed that. If you don't like how SpamSiv shows a separate icon in your dock, and that drives me crazy because I don't like things in my dock. Um, I use a, a little free application called Dockless to remove the icon. And I've, I've removed lots of little icons from my dock. Yeah. Does that still work in line? Mm-hmm. And then the, the other thing about SpamSiv is when you activate it initially, it gives you uh, notifications and badges and things. It, it like doubles your email notifications. And I recommend you go and turn all that stuff off. I kind of like the some of them. I know you don't. You don't like email. you don't like any email notifications. I get that. Yeah. Okay. No. But SpamSiv um, is one of those that learns as you go. So I, I've had a lot of people who've been really frustrated with SpamSiv. It's not doing anything. It's not working well. And I said, "Well, are you training it? No. Hmm. You have to train it. You know, it it will do decent work 
without any interaction, but you have to tell it what is spam. You have to tell it what is good. And, and the more you do that, the better it will get. And I think they've said that, that usually somewhere between 100 and 200 messages is, is what it needs for, you know, to, to really start getting accurate for you to train it. But you need to train it with both good and bad messages when you first get it. Yeah, and it's not hard. You do it in the message uh, menu bar item in mail. Uh, spam sieve is 30 bucks. And if you have any problem with spam, use this and we'll take care of it. You know, yeah. the- one issue with spam sieve is it's, it's on your client, it's on your Mac. So if your Mac is not running, spam sieve is not running. Right. Which also means it's not going to spam, you know, sieve email. It's not going to sieve email um, on other devices. So one of the ways that I think you've gotten around that and that I'm planning on getting around that is, you know, just to keep a Mac with spam sieve running and mail running, running. Yeah. On my uh, iMac at home, I just leave it running all day with spam sieve. And that way I don't get the spam on my iPhone. Um, and there's some, there's some neat things that you can do to run it in client mode if you get really geeky into their, their user manual. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What about archiving email? Well, I, I told you about my little trick that I use with the, with the iPhone to archive email. Yeah. Um, I, I previously, before Lion, I had a rule that took every incoming message and copied a copy of that message, copied that message um, to a separate folder called archive because I really didn't want to lose any email, and that was the best way um, to make sure that I had a copy of everything. But I find that that's not necessary anymore. Um, with with the new version of mail that has that archive button. I've just gotten used to using that, and I like that a lot better. And with the old way, I was running up with a lot of duplicates, so I had to use a, a script to go in and, and get rid of the duplicates every every couple of months, and, and that was kind of annoying, but I, I like it a lot better. So that's that's how I, I, arc, I make sure, number one, that I have a copy of every message that comes in in, in my IMAP folder. But that's not truly archiving. That's just making sure that I have a copy of the message. And then in my my mail app, obviously, I've got it stored. Uh, My preference is set to keep a copy of the email locally. So that's being backed up with Time Machine and SuperDuper and all of my backup methods. Um, But I do use an app called Mail Steward to archive my my email. And I like that a lot. Um, There are a couple of different versions of Mail Steward. I just use the very basic one, which is now available in the Mac App Store, but you do have to periodically run it and it will go through and scan your email since the last time it scanned and it will pull in all of your email into its database, which has some great searching features. Um, and it will, it will make sure that it's got a backup copy of, of all your email. And I have found cases where I could not find an email that I needed and mail steward had it. Yeah. So mail steward uh, ranges from 20 to a hundred bucks. They've got three different versions and some of them uh, set up your email as a SQL database. Some of them don't. And, uh, but they all save the attachments and they allow you to search it. It's a, it's a way to essentially offload your mail. If you want to like reduce the size of your mail database, let's say you want to stick with the $5, I'm sorry, the five gigabyte iCloud account and you've got you know, 10 gigabytes of mail, but, you know, a bunch of the emails 10 years old. So you go through, you could archive it with Mail Steward and get it off your iCloud account to get your space down to something more reasonable. Um, I use it differently. I just use it to make an archive of my email that's just sitting, you know, it's, it's one more backup in one more place. Mm-hmm. So if some, some of them, let's say, uh, you know, the, was it somebody, you know, the thing in North Carolina goes up in smoke and I lose all my email from Apple then I know I have a database that I can restore it with. Very easy to use. The first time you, you do the archive, obviously it takes a while. 
especially if you have a large database. After that, it's incremental. It goes and figures out what's new, and it happens very easily. I've got a repeating OmniFocus task every 30 days, run Mail Steward, and uh, it works just great. So I would recommend that one. Um, the other thing I've done, I think I talked about this on our last email show, is I use a little um, Google account hack, which which has become less and less important now. But it's it's kind of a, a a poor woman's email archive solution, and that is most email accounts will allow you to forward mail from one account to another. So if you're really concerned about you know your email your IMAP service provider going up in smoke, and you don't otherwise have a backup because you know here's the concern: something happens on your service provider end, all of your email gets deleted. Your computer says, "Oh, I see all of you. You deleted all that email. I'm going to delete my copies of all that email too, because that's obviously what you want to do." And maybe you don't notice, and maybe you've written over your backups, and now all of a sudden your email's missing. Um, you know that can be a problem. So one of the solutions you can use is you can forward email from one account to another. Now, this is only going to be good for incoming mail, not necessarily for the mail that you send. Um, but you can forward your email from, let's say, your me.com account to a separate Google account. Yeah. And there you've got backup copies. Yeah. There's, there's no shortage of ways to, to keep copies of your email. There's no reason to lose email. Yeah. yeah. There's also apparently a new service called Backupify. That, that I've not used that became very popular after the great Google email loss. <laughs> the great email loss of 2011. Uh, yeah, I think it was 2011. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about just email best practices and how we deal with email. All right. Well, go for it. Cause I know you're uh, you've got a war going. I don't know. I, I, yeah, in the outline, I put war on notification, and uh, I, I really feel strongly that you know, think really long and hard about how much you want notifications on your emails. Uh, you know, in the mail app on the Mac, you can turn off the badge and turn off the ding, and I think it's worth it. I did a big rant on this the last time we did this show, but it just you know, the point is, if you have your email application every five minutes ringing off. Um, you have to have a lot of discipline not to want to check it. And for me, I don't. I don't have that discipline. If my email goes off and I hear a ding or I see a badge, I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's, you know, a friend wanting me to go to the movies or maybe I just won the, you know, publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes or whatever. I just can't keep myself from going to see what that message is about. So I recognize I have no discipline. So I turn all that stuff off because. Uh, I find it really distracting when I try to work and then I stop to check email. It takes me a long time to get back into things. So maybe this is all about my own incompetency. I don't know. But uh, I feel that you know turning off notifications is a good thing. I turn them off on my phone. I turn off on the iPad. Um, and there's some settings in the new uh, you know iOS uh, that I think... Uh, will let you turn off the badge, which would be pretty cool if that would happen. You know, so uh, you already can turn off sounds. So I don't have any notifications. Uh, mm. Now you keep notifications on, right? I do, and I wish that I could limit that to some degree. And unfortunately, the big reason I can is 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 because of the culture in my office. Yeah, and and sometimes you can change that. And sometimes you can't. I, I think maybe in a couple of years, once I've got a few more gray hairs and a little more seniority, I may be able to change some of that culture. But unfortunately, I personally believe that there are are certain certain things for certain you know certain tools for certain jobs. Um, you know, uh, if you really need to reach me, either walk in my office or call me. 
or our office actually has an IM system that's associated with our phones. If you really need to reach me, call me or IM me or walk into my office. But unfortunately, my office has decided um, that email is going to be the way of if I have something really important, I need your attention right now, I'm going to email you, yeah. you know, and, and, I, and I just think that I is so that. destructive. I, because... I hate that, but that's what they do. And, and I have, you know, missed my email by 10 minutes because I've been, you know, on the other side of the office for something and I've missed something critically important. And I've gone and said to somebody, why didn't you come get me? Oh, I sent you an email. Well, I may not be sitting in front of my computer. I may not be checking it, but, but you know, sometimes you can't change that culture and, and maybe in a couple of years I'll be able to. That's completely insane. It is. Because then if you want to do a writing project for your work and you need to really focus when you do writing and if you have to be beholden to every time that email alarm goes off, I don't see how you get anything done. Oh, I have people email me, so-and-so is on hold for you. You have a client in the front office. Yeah, don't email me that. Wow. Call me. So at my office, I don't do that. I, don't, I, I, I tell people, I tell clients, I tell judges. I say, you know, I check email in the morning, I check in the afternoon. And uh, if you've got something important... You know, give me a call. I, I, I treat it like I treat faxes and, and, and physical mail. And I try to work in between those times. And I can get away with that. I'm not so, uh, you know, I'm not so excited about this as I was the last time we talked about it. Because I've talked to people and I understand like you. I mean, in your office, you have to. You know, you're going to get fired if you don't check your email. So who the hell am I to tell people, you know, that they can only check twice a day. But if you can, I'd say, you know, check it as few times as you can possibly get away with and spend the other time working. Now, what about Inbox Zero? Uh, I think it's great. I mean, Merlin Mann did Inbox Zero, and um, it really jived with a lot of the other stuff. Because I was reading at the time a lot of books about you know productivity and dealing with stuff. And I always felt like, you know, clearing that out was important. I mean, I look at it like the mailbox outside your door. I mean, when you go to check your mail, you don't open your mailbox, pull your mail out, look at it all, and then stick a bunch of it back in the mailbox and walk back in the house. I mean, you you clear out your inbox, you know, and you take it in and then you do stuff with it. Once you get in the house, you throw away your junk mail. You, you know, you may take out a pen and answer a letter from a friend or you may stick another letter you know in a folder f- to pay your bills over the weekend and i think that's the way you deal with mail on your computer as well so that's the way i handle it i mean when i clear out my inbox and that's i do it on ios as well as on the mac i look at every message and i ask like three or four questions number one is it something i i don't need anymore and it it may be junk mail or it just may be something that i don't need to archive and i just trash it i don't think about it twice uh, is it something that uh, requires no response? You know, someone saying, hey, it was great seeing you the other day. And let's say that's great. And I just put it in the archive and I'm done with it. So if that's the case, I archive it immediately. And I don't put it in nested folders. I don't deal with any of that nonsense. It's just in the archive. I can find it later if I need it. Third question is, is it something that I need to reply to? And if it is, can I do it right away? You know, and if, I think I think David Covey says it's uh, two minutes or something. There's, there's some rules about, you know, if you can reply in five minutes or two minutes, you should. I just, you know, I just kind of at a gut level, is this something I can just deal with right now? And if I can, I reply to it and then I'm done with it. And then the fourth question is, at that point, all that's left is something that needs a reply that I don't have time for and it goes into OmniFocus and I archive it. 
It's a real simple workflow. But, but uh, the other half of that workflow is you have to have a trusted system that you regularly check to catch what you need to do. Because a lot of people use their email inbox as a to-do list. And if you're not going to do that and you're going to subscribe to an inbox zero type method, you have to have another trusted system in place that you are going to religiously check and religiously manage so that you don't drop things. Yeah. And there's other uh, task management apps that work with mail messages too. I mean, so you don't have to use OmniFocus, but the um, I think having a way to deal with that later. I mean, the other option, and I think what a lot of people do instead of having a task management system for it, is they leave it in the inbox. Um, and when you do that, then you start accumulating all this stuff and you have to go read all the messages again to figure out where they fit. And it just adds, I think, a lot of levels of complexity to it. I think it's much, even though it seems like more work to put it into a separate app, I think it really is a lot more efficient. And uh, so that's why I do that. Um, What about responses? You you have a a very good habit of responding in line, but you do so in a way that it's not confusing. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that wrote this. I think Merlin was the first person to write about this. I'm going to look up and maybe put some of the blog posts in. But I know Ben Brooks, I think, Ben or Sean, somebody has been writing about this recently. I don't remember which one it was. But the, um, so inline responses are where you respond to an email. And rather than, you know, the standard email response puts the message that you have received at the bottom of the email and then you write back. But it's confusing because a lot of times an email will have several items in it. And, you know, when you write back and you say yes, the person receiving it doesn't know what you're talking about. So if someone says, Hey, um, uh, do you want to go to the movies and will you uh, donate your kidney to me? And then you write back and say, yes, uh, they're not really sure. Dog, I got a new kidney. Yeah, exactly. So, so what I do is, um, I reply in line. So I would hit a, you know, I'd, I'd have the original message and then I'd hit the carriage return and mail, you know, distinguishes between the original and the reply. And I would put yes under the movies and under the kidney, I'd say, we need to talk about this. (laughs) And um, so that's the way I respond to email generally. Um, It's really easy on Apple mail on outlook on windows. It makes me nuts because it's actually kind of hard. Yeah. It's a little more difficult on the iPhone too. Yeah. Uh, So, but generally I do, I don't always do that, but um, whenever someone sends me a message that requires that type of reply, I usually take the extra you know, 10 seconds to set that up. And to, to do that, all you really are doing is just inserting your, um, uh, the way I do is I'll put the person's name at the beginning and then I'll just delete everything till we have the reply. And then I'll just go in and start adding in, in the reply and sending it back. And the people that get that, it's really useful because then they'll reply to me in line as well. And we'll have a really nice, um, tight conversation about subjects. Uh, my big thing with email is keep it short. Yeah. I don't need a novel. Yeah, it's you know it's tough when we get some really great emails from from listeners that are really long, and sometimes it's paralyzing because I'm not sure. I know that this person's taking a lot of time, and I'm not sure you know where to start in a response. Well, and if I if I look at it, because a lot of times I'm I'm processing email, you know, as I have a few extra minutes here and there, you know, as I'm standing in line, as I'm waiting in something, I'm processing it on my iPhone. And if I look at something and I see something that just goes on for pages and pages and pages and pages, I back out of it. Well, it depends. You know, I'll come it, back to it later. It depends on the message. Sometimes, I, I guess the the real advice would be make it only as long as it needs to be. And no, that's that, that's probably a better way of putting it. Yeah. And if you if you can 
um, you know, and related, keep your subject lines relevant. Your subject line should not be high. Yeah, I, I call it smart subject lines. You know, put the message in the subject line if you can. And I'm not perfect at this. A lot of times, especially with the listener email, I'll reply and just leave. It's just a reply to whatever their message was. I don't write a, a new subject line. But, you know, for business stuff, often I will try and summarize the message in the subject line so the person gets it, knows what they're doing. And for um, things like setting appointments, that's even more specific. I'll say, you know, lunch on Thursday at 2 p.m. question mark will be my subject line. and. Okay. Uh, sometimes that's all the message. And then the EOM, have you ever seen that where you put the bracketed EOM in your subject line? Right. This is it. You can, you can respond and delete. Yeah. Or, well, EOM is end of message. So, so you put that in the subject line and you don't even put anything in the body. Yeah. Um, uh, something that I, I wrote about at Max Sparky a while back and something that I do on my Mac is I change the composition order when I write emails is, uh, you know, since the dawn of email, it's always been the same. You know, the the cursor starts in the to field and you hit tabs to go through the various fields and the subject, then the message, and then you add an attachment at the end. And it always seemed to me counterintuitive because, um, you know, how do you know what the subject is until you really write out the body of the message? Um, and secondly, it's really easy to forget to put that attachment on the end. So I try to do it the reverse direction. So when I write a new message, I first put an attachment in, then I write the body of the message, then I write the subject line, then I put the recipient. And maybe that's just anal retentive. I don't know. But it works for me. Well, it keeps you from forgetting the attachment. Yeah. So how do, how do you manage home and work email concerns? I'm, you know, in some offices it's a big concern, and in other offices they're, they're a little more laxed about it. You know, some offices have a strict no, no personal email policy. You know, my, my thing is to keep your personal email out of your work email. Yeah, it's a lot easier than it used to be because now we have iPads and iPhones and laptop Macs. There's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, my office, I have an office PC, and that's got my Exchange Mail account and nothing else on it. Yeah, and like you said earlier, you could log into the mobile me or the iCloud website if you really needed to, to handle something from there, or pick up your iPad or you know. There's a lot of ways. Because if 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 your information is on your work's computer, I don't think you have any expectation of privacy on it. Yeah, I mean you don't want to keep your your stuff there. Like when we did the Dropbox episode, I talked about that. You know, I didn't want my whole Dropbox account syncing to my work computer, but I did want to sync my forms. And so I had a little workaround where I set up a separate Dropbox account. So you've, you've got a pretty specific email workflow. You, d- you did a whole screencast on this, which we should probably put a link to in the show notes. But you want to summarize it? I think I did already. You know, oh. I just go through and I clear out the inbox and uh, you know, just go through it, trash. But you have four folders, right? Um, well, let's see now. I, I have the inbox right. and I have the archive and the trash. And then I also have one called action and that third category where I'd say, um, and that one is kind of my cheat really, because like if I'm on the road with my, uh, iPhone and I'm just clearing out my inbox and I see something where I want to reply, but I'm going to reply later today. I want to add to OmniFocus, but I don't have time to stop and create an OmniFocus link on a mobile device. I just put it into that action folder. So action gets cleared out at the end of the day. Yeah. Usually, usually. So, so it goes, if, if I'm on the road, like I said, I, I can clear out my inbox and have everything either deleted, replied to, or in action 
And then by the end of the day, I'll sit down and clear out the action and I'll either put it into an omni-focus task or just reply to it. Okay. Mine's pretty similar. Um, you know, for years I had, you know, folders and folders and folders and folders and folders. And, you know, I just realized with the way that, that mail has gotten so sophisticated in searching, I'm, I'm much more likely to find something by search than I am by finding it by digging in a folder. And again, the one exception to that is the office where I do have folders because they're, they're shared to some degree where I have folders set up in the office for different clients. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a bit of a necessary evil. Yeah. And I think, like I said, once again, these things get easier with the technology improving. Um, I, I think everybody at one point had a lot of folders on a mail account. I used to have one, you know, and it's like nested upon nested upon nested. And I was really proud of my, you know, the whole taxonomy of how I had set it up and I would pull things over. And then I just stopped one day to think about how much time do I spend a day moving folders to a specific folder and how many times have I actually gone and looked to that folder? And it really was time wasted, probably days of my life if I added it all up. So then I said, okay, well, this is my backup. I'm going to get this mail tags app and start using that. And so I could easily tag mail messages. I dumped them in the archive. And as I said earlier, now I just dump them in the archive. I don't even tag them. Do we need to cover email etiquette with this group or do the power users know it? Oh, it doesn't hurt. But, you know, one thing I'd like to talk about before we get to that um, is signatures. I've kind oh. of come to a... Uh, a revelation on signatures because I start same thing. I started with signatures. I mean, using text expander, you can make a great signature with all these graphics in it and links. I hate and everything. signatures with graphics in it. Yeah, well, I had one for a long time. I know and, you uh, did. And so I just, you know, finally, I just, I'm just done. I, I have a plain text signature that says David Sparks, MaxSparky.com, blogger, blogger, author, you know, podcaster, whatever for this, and it's real simple and. Uh, I think that that's the way to do it. I agree. Just keep it easy. I agree. Yeah, don't go nuts. And, and all the apps we've talked about have signature tools, so you're good. Yeah. Um, so email etiquette, real quick. Yeah. Never use reply all. I wouldn't say never use it. Sometimes okay. it's appropriate, but use when, it with caution. Use it intentionally. Yeah. Never accidentally use reply all. Yeah. Um. If you're emailing a large group or you're sending out something in a distribution list, put the people in the BCC field. Nobody wants their email address out there. Yeah. And, you know, just in general, look at the BCC field. Maybe because we're lawyers, uh, that's more common for us. But, you know, the BCC field sends a copy to someone without the other person seeing that. And, um, you know, you want to respect someone's privacy. That's a way to do it. Be cautious with your email forwards. What you think is cute and hilarious or... Um, what you think is an appropriate political statement or, um, you know, generally accepted or, or whatnot may not jive with everybody else. Yeah. There's a, I have a, um, I have a zero tolerance for that. Somebody sends me that stuff. I just immediately put them in the trash list. Yeah. So, (laughs) and I'm sure there's a lot of people like me, so don't do that. Just don't do it. Where I would say, there is a there is a time to use the reply all. I don't think there's ever a time to forward those stupid emails. Um, and then if you do get one of those stupid emails, educate the person w- with Snopes.com because they're never true, ever true. Uh, I don't have enough time to find it on Snopes because I'm too busy putting them on a rule. Oh, okay. Well, 
Okay. Uh, we've talked about tools. Uh, there's a couple tools that are not mail specific, but still useful for dealing with mail. And the first one is our last sponsor. Yeah, let's talk about Text Expander. Text Expander got a major update to Text Expander Touch this week. I am so happy. Yes. Um, I knew this was coming, but it still makes me happy to finally finally get it. But uh, Text Expander has always had the feature where it would sync via Dropbox. So if you use Text Expander on multiple Macs, or even if you use Text Expander with one of the companion apps on a Windows PC like Brevi, uh, you could sync your snippets between multiple computers, and all of your snippets would magically appear. But the problem was is that they had this over-the-air sync uh, with their iOS app. No yeah, longer. It was a pain. You but had it to worked. Go by, by library, and, and uh, they've been hard at work. This was not as easy as it, as it seems. No, they've been working on this since way before Macworld, and, yeah. and we appreciate that. Um, but so congratulations to the developers at, at, at Smile. Text Expander Touch now syncs over Dropbox. So all you have to do is, is link it to your Dropbox account, throw in your Dropbox credentials. Um, it will ask you if you want to replace. So if you only have information in Text Expander Touch, then you want to replace the information in Dropbox. If you have information, like most people probably in Dropbox already, you want to link it to your Dropbox. And then like magic, all of your Text Expander snippets show up in Text Expander Touch. This is a huge benefit because now you've got the benefit of all those snippets you've created on your Mac on your iPad immediately. And like when you set up a new iPad, it just shows up. You don't have to mess with it. When you make a new snippet, it will show up. I'm making new snippets all the time with Text Expander. Yeah. So this is really great. And uh, and Text Expander in particular is is a great app if you're an email power user because it does so many things. Like that signature I talked about. It's a text expander snippet. It's not a signature built into the mail app because if I'm sending something work-related, I'm not going to talk about the fact that I'm a nerdy blogger. I'm going to talk about what I do as a lawyer. So I've got signatures for different elements of my life, and that's a snippet. Uh, you know, I always uh, you know, there's so many things that I do in email repeatedly that are text expander snippets. It's you know, this app was made for mail. I agree. I agree. Now, Text Expander Touch is available in the Mac App Store. Um, you can certainly use it as a standalone application, although it's much more powerful if you combine it with the Mac App. Text Expander Touch is $4.99 in the Mac App Store. Uh, Text Expander is available also in the Mac App Store or from the smilesoftware.com website. It is $34.95. All of their software has a 90-day money-back guarantee, although I can't imagine any way that once you try this, you won't love it. And Text Expander for the Mac does have a free trial version available. Yeah. Now, um, you know, another snippet that I use all the time is my email address. You know, huh? my my .Mac address is emac, and then it, it shows up. And uh, on the iPad, that becomes even more useful. You know, because you've got to sometimes jump between multiple keyboards because the numbers keyboard and the letters keyboard are two separate keyboards on the iPad. Mm, good point. You know, so I've got email addresses, I've got common responses, I've got signatures. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff I do, or common requests. You know, because with Text Expander, you can have like a fill-in form. When I was uh, writing iPad at work, which is now officially in the can, yay! Uh, uh, the uh, when I was writing that, you know, I couldn't afford to buy every app in that book because I would have spent a lot of money. So there are a couple apps where I wasn't going to be using them in my day-to-day stuff. But I wanted to evaluate them for possibly. Covering in the book, I had a text expander snippet where I wrote people explaining what I do and why I was interested in their app. And it had little blanks every time I, I fired it off in mail and I could fill in the name of the app and where I thought it fit in the book. 
And so it made it really easy to do stuff. I, I just think Text Expander is a, is a no-brainer for someone who likes to do a lot of email or needs to do a lot of email. Absolutely. Um, another tool, uh, which we've covered in the past, we did a whole show on, is Drag and Dictate, which is a, a great way if you write a lot of email and you don't want to type. You know, it works really well in the mail app. You can also just save it to like a text edit file and block and copy mail in, which is how I do mail. I mean, I look at a list of mail on my iPad and I dictate on to a text edit file on with drag and dictate. Yep. I use drag and dictate all the time for that. Um, you know, I put this thing in the, in the, uh, in the outline called the death of email because I start hearing people talk about this now um, saying, you know, email was great, but you know, email doesn't work anymore and it's not the right solution. And, you know, now we're looking at social networking and Google plus and all these other things coming out where, you know, we don't need email anymore. You know, why would I need email? I can always send you a Twitter. Hmm. And I know some people do that. And some of the people, our friends, you know, in the blogosphere are, are kind of leaning that way. But I still think email serves a, a very important role. Yeah, I disagree with that. I, I No, I agree with you. I disagree with, with the fact that email is dying. I, I use email more and more in my life every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at in it. In fact, you know, I'm I'm leaning further and further away from social networks. It's it's too much noise. Yeah, that's kind of the way I feel too. And I like the way email works. If someone sends me a message, and when they send it to me, there's kind of an implicit contract that I'm going to look at and respond or address whatever it is that they need. But I don't need to do it immediately. You know, trying to get away from your work situation, and and that's the that is the mechanism to do that so when you have a problem that requires a response but not an immediate response email really scratches the itch my my general rule of thumb is i try to respond to all emails within 24 hours uh, i'd like to say that i don't anymore yeah you know i've i've kind of got to the point with the max barkey stuff where i can't respond to every email and um it, you know i feel bad about that but you're just so just, famous I don't think it's that. It's just, you know, it's just, there's just not enough time. You know, I, I could spend time writing a blog post that covers something that I get a bunch of emails for, or I could respond to the two or three people that ask me about it. And those are the only two or three people that hear about it. Right. But, uh, I don't like, you know, it's, I don't know how to put it. It's, there's just more, I have more email to deal with than I have time to deal with it. It's tough. Well, uh, David, we've got quite a bit of feedback because we haven't covered feedback on the last couple of episodes. So uh, we'll, we'll try to hit some of the highlights here. Um, yeah. We've also been recording two hours, so we're going to keep it short. <laughs> we will keep it short. Uh, so Rick emailed us, and he said um, he is referring to our, our previous uh, show. And we went through the menu bar, and he said, I have a number of menu bar items running on my Mac, and he is running out of space. So is there a way that you can hide something if there isn't room for everything or if you're aware of any tool that will extend the menu bar? And, you know, David, we may have to throw this out as a geek challenge because, uh, to borrow the phrase from the Mac Geek Gab, because, you know, the way that I extended my menu bar is I bought a bigger monitor. Yeah, that works. I, I think that's the officially <laughs> supported Apple method of extending your menu bar. On my 13-inch on my 13 inch MacBook Air, when I run out of space and my my menu and my current app overlaps my menu bar, I click on the finder because the finder only has a few menu bar entries and that usually makes everything visible. I, didn't, I know that's really not much of an answer, but that's um, all. I- what, what I have done is I have tried to minimize the menu bar 
to some extent with things that I don't need. Um, and, and you can do that a little bit. Like, for example, I took the day out of the date, you know, or, or out of the, the time bar. I, I know what day it is. I'm not that confused. So I, I took that out and that gives me enough space. And, you know, so I went through and I thought, what what apps can I can I get rid of and can I take out of my menu bar that I don't absolutely use? And are there any apps that, you know, I can instead use through Launch Bar instead? You know, yeah. maybe like caffeine, for example. Does caffeine really need to be in my menu bar or do I just launch it from Launch Bar when I need it? Yeah. It, it, it makes me kind of nuts that the line upgrade puts your full name in the menu bar. You can fix that. Yeah, I know. But a lot of people are not going to know how. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that takes a bunch of space. All right. We heard from Andrew. Uh, we had did a show. Excuse me. As I speak English. We heard from Andrew, uh, who had talked about uh, the iPad presentation, and he said, well, why are you interested in doing it wirelessly through the Apple TV? Why don't you just use the digital AV adapter rather than setting up an Apple TV and Airport Express? Because um, it's wireless. Exactly. Uh, you know, having that beautiful iPad tethered to a big cable is a little nutty. If you're sitting at a podium, he's absolutely right. That's the best way to do it. But if you want the ability to walk around, um, I think uh, it's worth it with the uh, wireless feature. So we got quite a bit of email, um, still a very big topic, although I, I still don't know that there's enough to do a whole show on it, but everybody seems to have an opinion about Quicken alternatives. Um, so a couple of alternatives that were thrown out that we'll mention um, for alternatives is you, um, we got an email from Rishab who said you might want to check out, I may pronounce this right, Koku, K-O-K-U. He said it doesn't have all the features of Quicken, um, but it's a new startup, and they're going big, and they're frequently rolling, uh, rolling out new features. Um, we also got an email uh, from Paul, who says that he's tried out Quicken Essentials, iBank3, Money Dance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then he liked that they would import their data, but he, he ultimately ran into to problems with them. Um, but I think he settled on, on iBank. He had a couple of problems with it, but, but ultimately settled on iBank. Yeah, and I, I like Mint, you know. I mean, I think we're heading towards a web-based financial services for these apps. Hmm. But I agree. I, you know, we still haven't done the show on it because I can't get excited about any of them to talk about them. Yeah. Uh, and Alistair's got some complaints with you. Yes. Uh, he, well, you know, he's kind of right. He kind of <laughs> uh, sent me an email giving it to me for my rant about Dropbox and them leaving the front door open uh, for four hours. And he says, you know, it's pretty amazing that they could fix the problem in four hours. And, you know, he says that stuff happens and everybody makes mistakes. And I think I called it ridiculous and unforgivable. <laughs> and uh, I guess it can't, I, I must not really believe it's unforgivable because I still use a Dropbox account. So my actions did not follow my words. I think he's right. I was probably too hard on him, but it was uh, it's pretty frustrating when that happened. Well, I, I, I think the problem. I, 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 stood, I stood up for you a little bit. I, I think it was ridiculous and unforgivable, but I, I understand that these people are human. And I think the thing that I felt was we had done a whole show about Dropbox just like a month earlier. I know. I felt a little betrayed because I'm going, oh, my goodness. So I'm telling people how they should use it and how great it is, and then they do something like that. So yeah. I felt a little upset. But uh, he's he's right. I think I was a little hard on them. No, they are people. And um, human, humans make mistakes, but but learn from them and don't do it again. All right. What about battery calibration? Oh, Sergey wrote us on battery calibration. And he said, the one thing you might want to clarify on the calibration issues is uh, what laptops you're referring to. He said, if you scroll down to the bottom of the link that you referred into your show notes, 
you'll see that the latest generation of Apple portables no longer need calibration. And I understand that that is what Apple is saying. I'm not sure I buy it. You don't think Apple would lie to us, do you, David? No. No, they wouldn't. Um, I understand that Apple says that all of their new modern laptops have this new fancy multi-gazillion hour battery that can be charged and recharged hundreds of thousands of times without ever using a charge. Don't know that I buy it. I still think, regardless of what laptop you have, I still maintain, and maybe I'm just a throwback, that it is good practice to occasionally, once or twice a month, exercise your battery. I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. Yeah, uh, I'd rather again, err on the side of caution. Then again, we may be like those people who zap the PRAM every day. I don't zap no the reason. PRAM every day. I don't think you should zap the PRAM every day. I think I think that zapping but, the PRAM still can fix things. But I mean, there's some people that it's like they just do it anyway. Maybe we're having the same practice with our batteries. I don't know. I don't know. I do zap the PRAM as a troubleshooting technique five times, by the way. That's the correct number. Bye. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so Bill Palmer at Beat Week magazine you know yeah. bill's awesome you know and uh, so he wrote and really made my day he said he has created a new unit of time measurement called the max sparky and he says it's like pomodoro except for yard work oh so it's one episode of the mac power users oh bill i'm uh, so sorry this is a long one you know <laughs> so it's hot yeah, outside exactly so he, he says one episode of the mac power uses how long it takes him to do his yard work when we finish and he's done and it's funny the reason i put this in the notes is because I do the exact same thing with the talk show with uh, Dan Benjamin and John Gruber. Keep it I, short, guys. Keep it uh, short. No, no. I mean, and it's like I know when they start talking about James Bond, I need to start, you know, wrapping it up because, you know, it's almost done. Every week, that's my yard work uh, podcast. Anyway, so I'm sure a lot of people do that. You know, I'm going to have to find a yard work podcast because I just got a yard. I got a yard. I bought a lawnmower. All right. Good for you. I know. I'm sitting here going, hmm, do I buy a Mac Mini or a lawnmower? This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to homeownership. I know. Okay, uh, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up. So right. uh, how do you get a hold of us? Uh, well, you can find us at uh, www.macpowerusers.com. There you can find links to everything we talked about, as well as our entire back episode, our back catalog of shows, including those screencasts that David was talking about that were not imported into the 5x5 feed. Uh, you can also find us at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Yeah, and uh, you can send us email at feedback at macpowerusers.com. We're also on Twitter at Mac Power Users is the Mac Power Users feed, or I'm at Katie Floyd. He's at Dave, he's at Max Sparky. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, we also have a Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash Mac Power Users. And David, I have to brag for a minute because you are now, in addition to a published book author, you are now a published MacWorld author. Yeah, it was thrilling. They asked me to write a couple articles, so I've got one out now uh, on uh, how I use text. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and that's going to be very appropriate because our next show is going to be all about power text editing. Yeah. You know, this is a show that I've been wanting to do for a while because there's all these people talking about how they use TextMate and BB Edit to just, you know, kill it with writing text. And I'm not talking about writing code or coding websites. I'm talking about just writing text. And uh, I've always been pretty happy with my kind of Scrivener and ByWord and the stuff I use. But there's always been a part of me that's been thinking I'm missing out on something. So uh, we're going to have our friend Brett Terpstra in, uh, who has written several text apps himself, including NVAlt and Marked. And uh, Brett's a real power uh, text mate, and he knows a lot about BBET. So we're going to go through, and he's going to make the case for why to use these powerful tools to write text. I think it'll be a good show. 
I think it will be a great show. Um, so thanks for joining us on this episode. And if you enjoy the show, please, please, please drop us a comment. Uh, drop us a review in iTunes because, you know, we're looking kind of pathetic over there now that we're all new again. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And David, I look forward to discussing power text editing with you. Yeah. And if you made it to the end of this extra long episode, you deserve a cookie. So go have a cookie right go now. Go have a cookie. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.